Amen. Lord, it, what a blessing to know that we are your beloved, that we are your treasured possession, that you would rather die than live without us, that you love us so very much. Lord, I pray right now as we go to your word, that, Father, we'd be strengthened and encouraged in our walk. I pray for every person who's here, that, Lord, we'd be open to receive what your spirit wants to minister to our hearts. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand because you will need one. Just raise your hand, we'll be happy to loan you a Bible. As I say every week, if you don't have a Bible at home or you like that one better, please feel free to take that home as our gift. Right? We need to read the Bible and, and spend time in God's Word daily and you can't do that if you don't have one. So again, just raise your hand if you need a Bible. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. I want to encourage you uh, to pray about coming out on Wednesday nights. We're going through Deuteronomy right now. It's a great book. We're in chapter 6 this coming Wednesday. So I want to encourage you to pray about that. And if you're not involved in the, the couples ministry or the women's study or the men's study, be praying about getting involved with those as well. Well, Corinthians, if you haven't been here, I want to just catch you up. Corinth was one of the most, if not the most, wicked city on the planet during that time. And Corinth was a city that was known for idolatry and sexual immorality. But it was also a city where Paul had planted a church, and the church was flourishing and growing, but over time what happened, sadly, is that Corinth, the church became more like the city instead of having an impact on the city. And so now Paul's writing this letter to the people in Corinth, he's exhorting them. First, he's responding to things he heard that were going on. That they'd been caught up in idol worship, they were caught up in sexual immorality, they were caught up in chasing after the philosophers of the day, and he was giving them instruction. And then we get to chapter 7, and he begins to answer questions that they had written to him. Questions about marriage in chapter 7, and in chapters 8, 9, and 10, he's been addressing the question of liberty as Christians. As Christians, we've been set free from sin and death. We're new creations in Christ, and we have liberty in the Lord. But there are some restrictions that go with that liberty. And we want to make sure that we, we have a heart before God that, that the most important thing in our life is not having our freedom, but glorifying God in the way that we live. And we saw so clearly in chapter 8, that the question was, can we eat meat sacrificed to idols? And he told them that the meat, you know, didn't mean anything because it didn't mean anything to these idols because idols are all dead. By the way, most of you know is in India, they have 30 million gods in India. And it's not helping them out much, right? How's it working out for you guys? Not too good, right? Everybody's starving. It's total, it's a, it's, it's a mess. They've got 30 million dead gods. And the reality is that Corinth was much like that, a bunch of dead gods, but no spiritual growth. And they, you know, they said, can we eat the meat sacrificed to idols? It's cheaper, right? Even back then, they were looking for a deal. And so they'd say, you know, if, the, if we eat that meat, and are we going to stumble people? Should we do it or should we not? And he told them, go ahead and eat the meat because the idols are nothing, but don't do it if you're going to stumble somebody when you do it. And then in chapter 9, he gave them an example of how not to use liberty, using himself as an example, because Paul was an apostle called by God, and he had the right to be provided for by the people he ministered to, but he said, I'm not going to do it if it stumbles one person. And Paul refused to be paid, and Paul said, I'll make tents my whole life, rather than have one person stumble because I get paid. And then we got to chapter 10 last week, and we went from the good example of Paul to the bad example of the children of Israel, 
who forsook the Lord in spite of all of his blessings. And just by quick review, if you remember last week, he said you guys were all under the cloud. Remember we talked about the cloud being a picture or a type of the Holy Spirit. The cloud was, the, was giving them refreshment or, or relief from the heat of the day. And all they had to do to be in the center of God's will was walk under the cloud. All they had to do was look up, see the cloud, and follow it. And we think, man, wouldn't that be sweet? Wouldn't you love it if you got up in the morning and you went outside and there was a cloud over your car and you just had to just drive underneath it all day and you knew where you were supposed to go? But here's the reality. I believe we have something greater than the cloud. We've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Amen? And it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and He gives us direction for our life, and all we need to do is follow Him. And we, so they, they were all under the cloud. They had God's covering. They'd been protected from the heat. They were led to the land of promise. And they also had the pillar of fire that brought warmth and illuminated the darkness. They'd been delivered from bondage. They'd all passed through the Red Sea. They'd seen God's mighty hand when He opened the Red Sea up, and they went through it. And they were delivered, but the enemy was destroyed. The Red Sea is a picture of water baptism, but I believe in this case it's also a picture of the cross because we talked about Moses stood up and as he stretched out his hand, holding the the rod in his hand, it's a picture of the cross, and the sea parted, and it's interesting that some were delivered through the Red Sea and others were destroyed. Some were brought out of bondage and set free, and others were brought into judgment, and that's what the cross does. It either delivers us or judges us if we reject it. And then he also said, you have manna falling out of the sky, and you got water coming from the rock, and you're so blessed by God. And the children of Israel, if you were here, we went through numbers, they're so blessed by God, God's done so much for them, but sadly, they still went their own way. And you know what? We're more blessed than the children of Israel ever thought about being. Amen? The children of Israel did not have the completed Bible like you and I have. The children of Israel did not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them like you and I have. And we look at them and think, what a bunch of knuckleheads. I mean, they had so much that God had given them. He directing their lives, the clouds leading them, the pillar of fire is there, food's falling out of the sky, water's coming from the rock, and yet they murmured against God. And they began to complain. Now, none of you have ever complained about anything going on in your life, I know, right? None of you have ever done I know I never have, right? No, that's not true, because lying is not becoming of a pastor, so let me correct myself. I have done that. And we we complain and we murmur because we stop trusting that God is in control and He's faithful. And they murmured and they complained against God. And then they became idolaters. Remember the story last week that Moses comes before them and and brings them to Mount Sinai. And Almighty God, a cloud drops down on Mount Sinai and God speaks to them in an audible voice. Now I'm thinking if God's speaking in an audible voice, no one's interrupting and everybody's paying attention. Amen? And He speaks to them in an audible voice. And they hear God speak, and it was so intense that they said, Moses, you go talk to him from now on and come tell us what he says, because if he talks to us again, we're all going to die. We can't even be in his presence. It brought godly fear. And you know what? We need more godly fear today. Amen? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. What we see today is people mock God because they have no fear of God. But you know what? Forty days after God spoke from the mountain and Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, what did they do? They made a what? They made a golden calf. God speaks audibly from the mountain and then they start making idols. And after they made the idol, they then fell into sexual immorality. Then they tempted the Lord and the serpents came into the camp. And we saw that God had blessed them in so many ways, but they were faithless and they were fearful and they didn't trust God. And because of that, they missed out on all that God had for them. 
And then we got to the last three verses last week, verses 11, 12, and 13 of chapter 10. And he said, these things happen, to you as an, happen for you as an example. It's been said that learning is the best experience. I said this last week. But you know what? It doesn't have to be our experience that is the best teacher. We can look at someone else's experience and learn from them. And he said, look at all that happened to Israel. They missed out on going into the land of promise. They missed out crossing over the Jordan. They missed out on God's highest. Why? Because they didn't trust God in his word. You know what, can I tell you something that 95% of the counseling I do would go away if we all just believe what the Bible said. Because I don't have any answers for you, I just know where they are, amen? And all I'm going to do is open up the Bible, here's what the Bible says. Well, Pastor Dave, all you ever do is tell me what's in the Bible. Well, you know what, you don't want anything other than that for me, amen? You don't need what I think or my opinion or anything else. And you know, sadly, they didn't just trust God's word, and because they didn't, they missed out on everything God had for them. Maybe you're here today. And you're in that same boat that you're missing out on God's highest. You know what, I want to say this too, that he says there, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, in verse 12. We talked about last week that usually the number one place that people fall is their area of greatest strength. Why? Because we begin to trust in ourselves. Peter fell in the area of boldness, right? Or faith, right? He was the one, I'll never deny you. And he denied the Lord. Abraham fell in the area of faith. Abraham was the, the, you know, the father of faith. His faith was accounted to him for righteousness. And then a little famine came along and he ran down to Egypt. You know, he was supposed to wait because God was going to give him a child through Sarah. And he went into his maidservant and asked the Middle East how that's working out today. Because all the descendants of Ishmael are still battling with the descendants of Isaac. And we see that the area where we think we're strongest, where maybe you got a lot of money in the bank and you think, you know, I got the money thing knocked. I don't need to trust God for that. I don't need to trust God for my health. I'm in really good shape. I work out, I run, I eat right. I'm in good shape. You know, I, I don't need to trust God in the area of boldness. I don't need to trust God in, in my marriage because, you know, I love my wife. I would never cheat on her. You know, and those kinds of things, it says, take heed lest ye fall. If you start to think you've got it knocked and you stop being desperate for God, get ready. Now, their warning is in verse 12, but the promise is in verse 13. And this is what we're going to move on to verse 14 in a minute and talk about. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you will be able to bear it. Verse 12, he says, Take heed lest ye fall. And then verse 13, he says, you know what? When temptation comes, I'm going to bring a way of escape. You know what? Every single time you sin, every single time temptation comes, there's a way of escape right there. How many of you recognize it and you know what I'm talking about? Amen? And it's even amazing how God will sometimes go the second and sometimes He makes 27 ways of escape. It's amazing. You know, you get, you're, you're getting ready to say something you know you're not supposed to say, and you get ready to open your mouth, and somebody interrupts you and starts talking. And then you get ready to say it again, and someone else says something. Then you get ready to say it again, and the phone rings. And then you get ready, and you just, I'm going to say it, right? And the Lord keeps going, look, here's another way out, right? But we just, we just run right through it, and I'm going to do it anyway. And you know what we do? The big stop sign for sin is right in front of our face, and we just run through it anyway. You know what? I never fall into sin. How about you? I choose to do it. I didn't trip in sin. Did you? No. You purposely said, I'm do I don't care. I'm doing it. And he says, every time there's a way of escape, 
every single time. He brings an opportunity. I, I mentioned this last week. I think it bears repeating that there's a, a pastor that I know down in Southern California. He shared this at a pastor's conference that he was mad at God because his wife was diagnosed with cancer. And he was so mad at God. He said, I've been serving you for so many years. He determined he was going to go out and get lit. He hadn't drank in 30 years, so he went down to the liquor store. He bought a 12-pack of beer. He drove way far away from his church so nobody would see him. And he came walking out with this bag with the beer sticking out of the top. And up walks Greg Laurie, who's the pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship down south, who's 30 miles away from his church. He's like, dude, so what's happening here? How are you doing? Right? Your sin will surely find you out. God brings a way of escape. He loves us to, enough to bring someone right into our path to keep us from falling into sin. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Because last week we saw that while they were living in the midst of fleshly lust and idolatry and sexual immorality and murmuring and complaining, so much like the world we live in today, that the real blessings and the true source of joy comes from the Lord. And that when we choose to sin, we're choosing to break fellowship with God. But we don't have to. Now as Christians, we're not sinless, but we do sin less. Amen? And as Christians, sin should break our heart. We should have a different thought about sin where before we lived in it and it didn't bother us, now it breaks our heart and we want to run from it. And it brings conviction to our lives. So this morning, in a message I've titled, uh, Flee Idolatry, I want you to see just how we are to respond to temptation. And I want you to see, maybe you're here today and you think you can coexist with the thing that you struggle with the most. And I want to tell you right now that that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible, as we're going to see this morning, that again, as we live in a world that we're surrounded by the opportunity for sin on every side, and we'll see that, again, there's, there's so much temptation that comes our way that God is faithful. So we're going to see first how to respond to temptation, then we're going to see why we should respond that way, the, poten- the potential results of it. And then lastly, what our motivation should be for our actions. Now, the context is he's still talking to them about whether or not they should eat meat sacrificed to idols. But this applies to every aspect of our life. So let's begin in verse 14 and, and look at how we are to respond to temptation. He says, therefore... Therefore, is what he's saying, in view of the dangers and the temptations that are around you, in light of the impact that they had on the children of Israel and the potential devastating consequences, therefore, based on what I just talked, we talked about in the verse 13 verses, therefore, my beloved, hang around near temptation and see if you can handle it on your own. Is that what it says? It says, flee, run away, Amen. You know what? The Bible says, can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? And the reality is that we are not to play with sin or hang out with sin or dwell near sin. We're to run away from it. And whenever I see flee, I always think of one guy, Joseph. Now Joseph, we know, was a man of God. God's hand was upon him. He was elevated to being high up in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's away doing business. He left Joseph in charge. Potiphar's wife, we know she was a babe, and I'll tell you why in a minute, because, you know, she tries to entice him. Come lie with me, Joseph. He's a young guy. Most young guys are like, that sounds good, right? Joseph's like, no, I'm honoring God, and I'm not going to do it. And she grabbed him and tried to pull him into her bed, and he left the coat behind and left. Now, here's how I know she was a babe. If she was ugly, he would have snatched the coat right out of her hand. 
give me my coat. Just get away from me, right? But he knew, he knew that if he didn't get out of there, he was in trouble. He didn't say, well, maybe I'll just hang out for a while and I'll, I'll, I'll use really good self-control and I won't fall into temptation. He said, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm running away as quickly as I can. We don't camp out next to temptation. We flee from it. When we are tempted, we'll, He will make that way of escape that you will be able to bear it. We won't be able to bear it if we don't escape from it. As Christians, it's not a matter of how mature we are. We, don't, we still don't flirt with temptation. Well, I've been walking with the Lord a long time. I, just, I can handle it. I can just handle it. I know I've struggled with it in the past. And No, you can't handle it. He tells you, flee, run away, escape. Get as far away from that which tempts you as you possibly can. Can a man hold fire into his bosom and not be burned? Let me give you some examples. You know, the Bible says, if you're right, I offend you, pluck it out. It means take whatever measures are necessary to avoid the potential sin. If you've got old friends that are enticing you to go party and drink and do things you used to do, you know what you need to do? You need to get some new friends. Amen? You say, you know what? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love Jesus more than anything, and I'll pray for you. And if you ever want to come to church, give me a call. But you know what? I'm out of here. Because bad company corrupts good morals. Amen? And if you think you can hang out with your old friends and not fall into the trap, you're, you're fooling yourself. He says, flee. Because you become like those you hang out with. You want to know what kind of person you are? Look at your friends. Amen? You look at your friends. That's you. Because you wouldn't hang out with them if that wasn't who you were. Maybe you're married and there's a coworker that's flirting with you and you kind of like the attention and, you know, in your mind it's gone in places it shouldn't. You know what you need to do? You need to quit your job. You need to transfer to another department. Pastor Dave, that's radical. Well, how, how important is your marriage? How important is your relationship with the Lord? Is it more important than your job? Yes, it is. Amen? And too often what we think is, well, I'll just, you know, I'll be all right and it won't be a big deal. And you know what will happen? Your wife will fight with you and you'll show up at work and that woman will be all over you. The enemy knows. And we need to flee. We don't play with it. We don't sit near it. What about struggling with pornography on the internet, which is an epidemic, by the way? Let me tell you right now. I to I've told you guys this story before. I had a call from a guy years ago who was a who was in my youth group, and he was telling me how he was struggling with pornography on the internet, and him and his wife were having all these problems because of it. And I clicked over the phone. I said, hold for a second. I clicked over the phone. I called a friend. I lived 500 miles away. I couldn't go down there. So I called another buddy who lived a couple blocks away, and I said, I want you to get in your car. I want you to go over to his house, and I want you to take his computer. <laughs> and I clicked back over, and I'm talking to him, and he goes, someone's at the door. I go, go get it. It's Tom. He came to get your computer. <laughs> and he goes... But dude, I need my computer. I go, no, you need your walk with God and you need your marriage and you need to honor the Lord and you need to flee youthful lust. That's what you need to do. But I need it for work. No, you don't. Not that bad. Get another job. Go do something else. If you're right, I offend you, pluck it out. Oh, Pastor Dave, you're being so radical. How radical should we be about staying away from sin? Amen? As Christians, we need to look at sin as something that brings harm to our walk with God. It inhibits us from being used by God in a powerful way. Again, leave those friends. Leave those things that stumble you. Do whatever it takes. It says in 2 Chronicles, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, 
For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? As Christians, the purpose of our lives isn't to see how much we can get away with and still be Christians. The purpose of our life is to have intimate fellowship with God. Amen? Again, don't come to me and start looking for loopholes in the Bible. Well, it doesn't say in here that you can't, you know. Here's a good one. doesn't say, where's the verse that says you can't smoke pot? If I hear that one more time, here's the reality. The word for, for sorcery in the Bible is pharmakia. And it's amazing to me how many people smoke pot, open themselves up to the demonic, because that's what it says. It's pharmacy. Well, it grows up out of the ground, so we should be able to smoke. I don't see a verse. Thou shalt not smoke. Be not drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And the, don't look for loopholes in the Bible. How much can I be like the person I used to be and still go to heaven? The person I used to be needs to die. Amen? The Bible says, deny your flesh, take up the cross and follow me. It doesn't mean hang on to the world and keep trying to be as much like I, as I was. You know what? That person is bad news. That person's got to go. I need to fall in love with the Lord. The Corinthian Christians were surrounded by idolatry and temple prostitution on every side. And using the example of of what had happened to the children of Israel, Paul told the Corinthian Christians to have nothing to do with pagan temple or idol worship. He said, guys, when it comes to idolatry, don't go near it. Flee. Don't mess with it. Don't play with it. So how do we respond to temptation, you guys? What's One word, what is it? flee run away and keep running amen and stay away from it don't play with it you cannot hold fire to your bosom and not be burned now look at the reason our response is so significant look at the potential results beginning in verse 15 i speak as to wise men judge for yourselves what i say i speak to you as wise men the corinthian christians tended to pride themselves on their wisdom as did all the greeks And if they were truly wise, they would carefully consider what he was about to say to them. Paul's argument was not one of legalism, but one of wisdom. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of what? Wisdom. And by the way, wisdom does not come from how many degrees you have after your name. Nothing wrong with education. That's not wisdom. That's intellect or it's knowledge. It's not wisdom. Wisdom comes only from God. Amen? And I'll tell you what. A four-year-old who knows Jesus has got way more wisdom than Einstein. Amen? I can bring some of the little kids from our Sunday school in here right now, and they can tell you how to get to heaven. And they can tell you that Jesus loves me. And they can tell you that He suffered and died, they might have eternal life. And they can tell you that they've been born again. And there's greater wisdom in those words out of a four-year-old's mouth than out of the, the greatest genius on this, quote, genius on this planet who doesn't know God. Amen? And so that's the source of wisdom. And he said, these are words of wisdom. These are words that come from the Spirit of the living God. And they're the words that if you examine them will make sense to your own hearts. Verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now the cup of blessing, they celebrated Passover every year in remembrance of their deliverance out of bondage. You guys have heard me say this a hundred times, so here comes 101. The Passover is a picture of the cross. Remember the Passover, the last of the ten plagues in Egypt. They were in bondage, a picture of sin. In Egypt, a picture of the world. How were they delivered out of bondage? 
The blood of a lamb was slain. A, a, a lamb was slain. They had to bring the lamb in, make sure it was perfect, watch over it for days, examine it, make sure it had no blemishes. Then they had to kill the lamb, and it wasn't enough to shed the blood of the lamb, but the blood of the lamb had to be applied. It's not enough that Jesus Christ's blood was shed for you. You must apply it to your life. Amen? His blood is shed, but we must apply it. It must be applied to my life. And so the cup of blessing was in remembrance to Passover when that blood was put on the doorpost in the shape of a cross and the angel of death passed over and they would remember Passover with this final cup of, of wine. And it was a picture of the blood of Passover. And you know what happened at that cup of blessing? Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And they'd been drinking this blood of the Passover, this cup of blessing, this wine that represented the blood of the Lamb. And He finally said to them, after hundreds of years of celebrating, He says, guess what? This is My blood. You know that Passover blood? It all points to Me. That cup of blessing points to, to the cross. And He says, this cup of blessing, is it not communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not communion with the body of Christ? When we take the Lord's Supper, what are we looking back to? We're looking back to the cross. And the word there for communion is a word most of you have probably heard before. The word is koinonia. And koinonia means fellowship. How do we have fellowship with God? Through the cup of blessing. Through the shedding of His blood. Because His blood was shed, you and I, Created beings can have intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. How awesome is that? Amen? Is there anything greater? Is there anything more significant in life that you and I can know Almighty God? And he says there, that's the communion, that cup of blessing. That's how we have that relationship with God. Verse 17. For we, though many, are one, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. They all ate of the same loaf. They all partook of the same bread. And they were united together as one body. Our source of fellowship with God and with each other is through, again, His shed blood and His body being broken for us. Our fellowship through our communion together. The common bond of Jesus Christ. The Lord's table. The common loaf. The same vine. The oneness. The koinonia that is between us. You know what, if it weren't for the cross, I wouldn't have a whole lot in common with most of you. I have friends that I love hanging out with because all we ever talk about is Jesus, but if we didn't talk about Jesus, we'd have pretty much nothing in common. I've got assistant pastors that hate sports. I don't get it. I love sports. You know what I mean? I'm like, man, if, if we didn't have Jesus in common, I wouldn't talk to you, man. I mean, here's the reality. But the reality is, if we have Jesus in common, we've got everything in common. Amen? And that's what unites us. You know what? When we come together, you know what this is? This is family. We're not just hanging out at the Elks Club. We're not just a bunch of, you know, whatever. We, you know, we are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're united through the shed blood of the cross and that common fellowship that we have in His body that was broken for us. And that's what He's telling them. That's where our commonality comes from. That's what unites us together. And then He says in verse 18, Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifice partakers of the altar? 
Israel understood the koinonia fellowship of communion, or in their case, they were looking back to Passover. The peace offering offered in the tabernacle. You know when they offered that, if you were here in Leviticus or Exodus, when they brought the offerings in, many of the offerings, part of it was sacrificed to God, and part of it was given to the priest, and part of it was eaten by the one who made the sacrifice. And they were basically sharing a meal with God. They were united to the priest. They were united to God in their sacrifice. And the same has happened for us. We've been united to God and united with each other through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ's blood upon the cross. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's what makes you and I new creations in Christ. And that's why we have so much in common. And he says there, who eat of the sacrifices, they're partakers of the altar. Look at verse 19. What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. He says here that idol worship is demonic. Now, I want to tell you that I know that for a fact, first of all, because the Bible says it, but I know for a fact because I saw it in India. Right next to my hotel was a shrine... I don't know how tall it was. It was pretty good size, probably 15 feet high. And inside this shrine, you walked in, and they had all these guys burning incense and doing all this stuff. And it had a, a black-faced idol with horns growing out of its head, and it had a baby in its hand that it had taken a bite out of. It had flesh in its mouth and blood dripping down its chin, and they're worshiping it. And I have to confess to you, if I'd had a sledgehammer, I'd be in jail right now. Because I'd have pulled an Elijah on that stinking idol. I'd have just went in there, you know what I mean? Tell my family I love them. I'm going, you know. I mean, the reality is it just breaks your heart to see what people will worship rather than know the true and living God. And he says here that idol worship is demonic. Who, you know, people do it unaware, but guess who they're worshiping? If you're not worshiping God, who are you worshiping? Who do you think set up all the idols of Hinduism? Who do you think's behind that? There's no doubt. It's Satan. And what happens is you see these people and they're trying to find hope and they're, you know, they're crying out to these things that they carved out. I mean, it amazes me. Can you imagine chiseling something away for two weeks, then putting flowers around it and bowing down and worshiping it? It's insane. And sadly, though, he says, though, that they're sacrificing to the devil. They become connected and intimate with Satan himself. Paul had already said that idols were nothing. That idols are in and of themselves simply stone or wood or metal object. But they're also conduits of worship of the demonic. You know what? We become joined to whatever we worship. Whatever you worship, you become joined to. It becomes the passion of your life. If you worship your job, it's going to be the passion of your life. If you worship stuff, it's going to be the passion of your life. If you worship idols, it's the passion of your life. But if you worship Jesus... He'll be the passion of your life. Amen? And I don't mean just singing a praise song on Sunday. I mean worshiping Him 24 hours a day. You know what? We're to pray without ceasing. And I truly believe that that, people say, oh, that's impossible. I don't think so. He wouldn't tell us to do something that was impossible. Amen? I believe we ought to wake up with prayer on our lips and praise on our mouth. And we ought to just leave it. I I used to use the analogy with youth group. It's like I I call up God when I wake up and I just leave Him on speakerphone all day. Amen? (laughs) And just walking through, the, walking through the grocery store, singing praise songs, right? 
in your car listening to worship, just focused on God 24 hours a day. You become joined to that which you worship. And sadly, they become joined with the devil because they were, what they were seeking after and what they were pursuing were these false gods, these false idols that were demonic in nature. Verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. You know, Bob Dylan can't sing, and I have no idea why he sells any records, but he, he sang a song, you got to serve somebody. How many have ever heard that song before, right? And the lyrics were good, his voice just kills me. you got to serve somebody. I don't get it, right? But here's the thing. That, that, that song is so true. We're all serving somebody. Amen? It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. You're somebody that you're passionate about. There's somebody that you're following. And it says there, you cannot serve the devil and the Lord at the same time. And too many times we think we're a special case. You know, it's okay. I mean, I'm just kind of unique. I can still go and party with my friends. And I can still go and, and you know, be involved in all the old sin I was involved in before and serve God. And it's just not a conflict for me. I've got a special case with God. No, you don't. The reality is that you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and the world. You cannot serve God and the devil. And the application for you and I today is that though we might have liberty to do certain things, that liberty does not, is, not a, is not permission to sin. I may have liberty to go into a, a bar and, and order a Coke, but if, if stuff's going on in there that I shouldn't be around, then I shouldn't be there. Amen? By the way, I'm going to get in your kitchen. Might as well. I mean, people don't like me already. It's all right. Here's the reality. There's no reason a Christian should ever be in a bar. I don't get it. What happens in a bar? You get drunk or you try to hook up. And neither one of those things is appropriate for any of you guys. Amen? And too often we think, well, that's my old life and I'm just hanging out with my friends. If your friends are hanging out in the bar, you're hanging out with the wrong friends. Be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Seek after God. Pursue Him with your whole heart. And again, I have no business being where God is not being glorified. We don't need spirits. We've got the Holy Spirit. Amen? Isn't it amazing how they call alcohol spirits? They don't even try to hide the fact that they're trying to fill in for something that they can't. The Holy Spirit. The Lord's table or the table of demons, choose one. Choose one. Which one do you want to follow? Where do you want to be fed? Where do you want to be nourished? you want to be nourished by the things of the world or by the Lord? And I can't hang out with demons on Saturday night and come to church on Sunday and expect things to be hunky-dory. You know what? I have to confess to you. I remember being in high school, and there were times when I was, you know, for the most part, the world would say I was a good kid, but there's times when I was messing up, and I would come to church on Sunday and be so convicted because I was somebody different on Saturday night. And that's just not right. Amen? We need to be sold out for Jesus every single day. You can come here and fool the pastor. You can come here and fool each other, but you can't fool God. Amen? He knows your heart. Now, I want to say this. If you were out last night partying and you're out of control, I'm glad you're here today. <laughs> I am. I'm glad you're here. I just hope you don't go do it next Saturday. Amen? The reality is that God will forgive you and He can restore you and He loves you. But you know what? Why would we want to hang on to the world when we can have the Lord? It doesn't work that way. As Christians, we should not be comfortable around sin. 
We, again, are we going to continue to sin? Yes. But the difference is that when we sin, it should break our hearts. Choose this day whom you will serve. Don't try to have one foot in the world and one foot following God. I don't want you to be so condemned either. Can I make this real clear? If you're here and you're really struggling in your walk, I don't want you to walk out there and say, man, I just can't do it. I've tried and I keep struggling. You know what? Repentance just means to turn. You can take a million steps away from God. It's only one step back. He's right there waiting for you. He loves you. You are his treasured possession. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And it doesn't matter what you've gone through. If you just turn and say, Lord, forgive me, he will every time. Amen? And I want to encourage you, if you're struggling, don't walk out here discouraged. Be encouraged to know that the Lord loves you so much. It doesn't matter that these Corinthian Christians didn't intend to worship demons at these pagan feasts. If a man puts his hand in a fire, it doesn't matter whether or not he intended to burn himself, he's still going to get burned. And so too, things like the music you listen to. Why was music created? To worship God. God created it for worship. We can listen to music that draws us near to God or makes us remember what it was like back in 75 when we were in high school, right? Isn't that true about music? You can hear a song, and then it bring you right back to wherever you were when that song came out. Isn't it amazing how that works? And the reality is, when I hear worship music, it brings me right back to the Lord. Amen? It puts my eyes right back on Him. The music we listen to, the drugs that we take, the alcohol we drink, the astrology, the psychics, those are all things that are envoys into the demonic if we're not careful. I want to encourage you. Be, pray about those things that you're involved in and say, Lord, show me if this is dr- taking my attention away from you. You know what? If the music you listen to ought to draw you closer to God, not away from Him. Amen? Look what it says there in verse 22. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? You know, God is not jealous of the idols. People think he's provoked to jealousy by the idols because he's jealous of the idols. Idols don't exist. Amen? They're blocks of wood. God is not jealous of a block of wood. So what's he jealous of? You. You. He loves you. You are a part of his bride. And he loves you. Would I be jealous if my wife left for another man? Yeah. My heart would be ripped out. I'd be broken. I'd be broken. When we go and pursue other things, we're telling God that we don't want to be a part of His bride and we're going to pursue something else. That's what He's jealous of, bringing us home, bringing us back into right fellowship, bringing us back into a right relationship. You are His treasured possession. And then it says, are we stronger than He? I think we know the answer to that one. Amen? If you don't, you're not. Amen? Now, we live in Santa Cruz and some people might think that they are and... You know, we got people, Shirley MacLaine, out talking about being God. Well, you're not God. Two undeniable facts, there is a God and you're not Him. Amen? And here's the reality. You're not stronger than God. And when you go and you pursue other things, you're entering into war against God. You're ba- That's a bad place to be, by the way. Don't you want God for you, not against you? Amen? Why would you go and do things contrary to His will that you know is going to bring enmity with the Lord? The Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Who are you aligning with? God or the world? Idols or this world? The table of demons or the table of the Lord? Choose one. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to serve? How do you respond to temptation? You flee. The reason our response is so significant is the potential results of aligning ourselves with God or with false idols. Now finally, let's take a look at what our motivation ought to be. 
What should motivate us in the way that we live? What should be the motivation for the actions that we take? And the two things we're going to see in these last 10 verses here is to minister to others and to glorify God. Look at verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. When it comes to our liberty or our freedom in Christ, not just avoiding what is harmful, but pursuing what is good. My kids, and I'm sure your kids like to say this too, what's so bad about it, Dad? What's so bad about it? Maybe you say that too. What's so bad about it? I've said it. Have you said that? What's so bad about it? Here's the the right question. What's so good about it? Amen? What's edifying about it? What's going to draw me closer to God about it? What's going to cause me to love the Lord more because of it? Not, well, what's so bad about it? And this is the point here that all things are lawful, but they're not all helpful. Is it going to help my walk with Christ if I enter into this? Is it going to draw me closer to the Lord? Just because something is permitted doesn't mean it's beneficial. The Corinthians were not seeking helpful things or things that would edify. Instead, they were pers- instead of pursuing God with their whole heart, they were pursuing things that would satisfy them. And you know what? We're all guilty of that at times, aren't we? We're more worried about our comfort and our will and our desires. Do we have the liberty to spend 10 hours a day watching TV? Yeah. Yeah? Be on our computer. Yeah? Work out. Younger guys, play video games. Clean your house. Tinker in the garage. Go fishing, shopping, hang out, whatever. Maybe we do, but let me ask you a question. How profitable is it? How profitable? You know, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? And our life is but a vapor. It's just I watch my kids growing up, and I feel like I'm, I can't even stand it. My daughter's going to be a senior next year, and it hurts even thinking about it. And I look at her, and I still see her being two. I think, man, my life is but a vapor. And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to blink. All right now I'm 41. I'm going to blink, and I'm going to be 61. And if the Lord tarries, I'm going to blink, and I'm going to be 81, or I'm going to be in heaven. And the reality is I'm not going to get to come back and do it over. And I want my life to count for the kingdom. How about you? Amen. I want my life to make a difference for eternity, not be so involved in oh, vegging out, oh, a marathon of whatever I'm watching, right? Watch that show, I've seen 70, oh, 74 times, I saw it was really good, let's watch it again, right? And we just get so, and we're just oh, vegging out or playing a 9,000th game of solitaire. Or People go buy a $2,000 computer and play solitaire, that cracks me up. <laughs> buy a deck of cards, it's two bucks, right? But the reality is that we will sit there and play card games. And, play, and I'm not saying, is it okay to play solitaire? Of course it is. But if we're spending all of our time, all of our time being consumed by stuff that is perishing, is it helpful? It might be lawful, but is it helpful? It might be, it might be lawful, but is it edifying? It's more than just having my freedom for my life, but how am I loving others? How am I ministering to others? How is it impacting eternity? That's what really matters look at verse 24 let no one seek his own but each the other's well-being not just about my liberty and my walk but how does it impact others corinthian christians were asking one question what's the harm to me if i do it they didn't consider how does it harm another it's lawful to eat any meat they wanted but again if it's going to stumble somebody else why do it paul said i'm not going to destroy with my food the one whom Christ died for. Can I tell you where I get the most, have to deal with this the most, is on the mission field. And praise God, I love Indian food. It's great. 
But I've been in some countries, and I don't want to rap on any country, but I've been in some countries where the food is just wrong. I'm like, I, I, I was praying about fasting today. I think I'm, you know. But, but here's the reality. You know, they bring out, you know, the food, and it's their culture to, that they're blessing you, and you just, you know, Lord help, and you eat it. Because you don't want to stumble the very one for whom Christ died for over a plate of food. Amen? And if eating meat's going to stumble your brother, then don't eat it. And if, you know, if doing certain things is going to stumble somebody in their walk, your freedom is not more important than your brother's walk with God. Amen? And that's the point he's making here. Let no one seek his own, but eats the other's well-being. Verse 25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market. Ask no questions for conscience' sake. Now, is he contradicting not partaking of the table of demons. He said, don't partake of the table of demons. Now he's saying, eat whatever meat you want. His warning had to do with the atmosphere of fellowship with demons in the pagan, in the pagan temple, not the food itself. There's nothing wrong with the meat. It was the sacrifice. And he's saying, look, the meat's fine. If you buy the meat in the market and you take it home and you barbecue it, God bless you. But if you sit down in front of a pagan idol and enjoy it with a bunch of pagans and, you're, and, and they think it's worship, then it's a problem. So it's not the meat, it's the fellowship. And that's what he's saying here. Verse 26, For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Meat in of itself is not a problem because it, along with the whole earth, is the Lord's. I love Acts 10. Rise, kill, and eat. How many like that verse? I love the barbecue. Barbecue is good. Man, it's good. If you're a vegetarian, God bless you, just more meat for me. It's okay, I don't mind. <laughs> but here's the thing. He said, rise, kill, and eat, and everything in the world is, belongs to the Lord, and praise God, all right? And you know what? The Lord loved to have feasts. You ever notice that? Jesus is eating a lot in the Bible. He's getting people together, and they're having food, right? He even tells us that, that as a church, we are the breaking of bread and fellowship, right? Agape feast, it's all good. He said the fullness of it all belongs to the Lord. But yet again, while we have the freedom, we should never abuse it to the harm of our brother or sister in Christ. Verse 27. If any one of those who do not believe invites you to dinner, you desire to go eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. So you go to witness to somebody. They bring out some food. You don't say, now where did you buy this? You get this down at the idle place? I figured as much, right? No, that's not what he's saying. He said, what you ought to do is they bring it out say, hey, it's just food. If it's going to bless them, eat it with a smile on your face like I did. The most rancid thing of sardines I've ever seen in my life on this bread that was wrong and this oily, it was just wrong. And it was God's grace that I didn't hurl on the table. But I knew they think they're blessing me. So Lord, help, right? And you eat it and then I'm sharing Jesus with them. If I'd hurled on the table or not eaten, they might not have listened, right? So I'm not going to destroy over food the person. And he says, if they bring it to you, just eat it. Thank you. I've always wanted to have goat or donkey or hog's head or whatever they bring to you, right? Oh, this is wonderful. Thank you so much. He says, for conscience sake, the earth, it's all the Lord's anyway. So go ahead. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Verse 29. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? Here's what he's saying. If they bring you food and 
nobody there is struggling just to eat it because you don't want to stumble anybody. But if there's somebody there that says, man, that was offered to idols, and, they know, and you know it's going to stumble them if you do eat it, then don't eat it. What he's saying is food is irrelevant compared to people. Amen? And so too is everything else. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen? We have a credo in the office. You ask the assistant pastors about five times a day. The ministry is about, and they go, people. Amen? That's what it's about. Because that's the only thing that is eternal on this planet. It's people. Only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. So don't miss out on ministering to that which is eternal over something that is temporal. Amen? And what he's saying here, if eating is going to bless them, then eat it. And if eating is going to stumble them, then don't. Why? Because it's about ministering to people. We're not to destroy with our food the very souls that Christ died for. If I'm eating a steak and it stumbles my brother, then I don't need to eat steak because everything in the world is the Lord's and I can have something else. Amen? I'll be just fine. God will bless it. Almost done. Verse 30. But if I partake with thanks, why am I, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? If I t- partake with thanks, if I eat it with a clear conscience and I offend no one else, why am I spoken evil of? Since the food itself is no problem as long as it doesn't stumble another. What he's saying is if I can give thanks and I can have a clear conscience and I know that I've heard from the Lord and I'm not stumbling my brother, I shouldn't worry about the over-legalistic person who tries to tell me what I can and cannot do. Let me make it real clear. Not stumbling your brother and not succumbing to legalism are two different things. Somebody could be legalistic and come and tell you, man, you're going, you know, God told me you're not supposed to, you know. And I grew up in a church where, you know, if the woman wore makeup, they were from Satan or something. And if you had a deck of cards, you know, and they'd have pool tables and bars. If you've got a pool table, you're going to, I mean, come on, right? And the reality was, is that's legalism. That's not stumbling your brother. That's somebody who needs to read the Bible and get over it, right? Amen? But here's the thing. What I would want, my heart would be that I would not, even in that case, I want to err on the side of ministering to them, but don't allow you know, one person walking around to being the legalism police. Remember, the legalistic brother is the weaker one. We often think that the stronger brother is the one that's got all the rules. That guy must be really strong in his faith. He's got 97,000 rules. The Jews have 252 commandments. Uh, every time I meet a Jewish guy that's really involved, oh, we have 262 or 250, I can't remember the number. And I say, how's that working out for you? Well, we've got to keep them all. How's that working out? I know 10 of them, and I know you're not making it on those. So I don't know what the other ones are. You're in trouble, right? And the reality is that we need not to be legalistic and pointing fingers at other people, but we need to be examining our own hearts. Verse 31, Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. My number one motivation, our number one motivation for every action we take should be to glorify God. Not for my comfort or my gratification, but for God's glory. Next time you get ready to do something, say, is God going to be glorified in this? If I take this job, is God going to be glorified in it? Could be. God's provision for you, you need a job, God told you to do it, that's great. Make sure it's the Lord and not you that's leading you to do it. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Give no one a reason to stumble. The unbelieving Jew, the Greek, or believers. We should not stumble unbelievers or believers with our actions. When people see us, they ought to see Jesus, amen? And they ought to say, you know what? I want to know God because I see Him in you. Can there be a greater compliment in the world than that? Verse 33. 
Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. You know what Paul's focus was? People getting saved. That's what Paul was all about. Paul had one heart, one passion, one desire to see people come to know Christ. Three questions we ought to ask ourselves regarding any activity. And you see in these last three verses here. Can I thank the Lord in it? Verse 30. Can I thank the Lord in what I'm doing? You probably can't thank the Lord if you're bar hopping and, check, and trying to you know, scam the babes on a Saturday night. I don't think you can thank the Lord in it. Amen? Well, thank you, Lord. No, I don't think that's going to happen, right? Will God be glorified through it? Will God be glorified if I make this choice, if I make this decision, if I do this? Will someone be stumbled by it? As Christians, all we do should first be subject to the leading of the Holy Spirit. It should not stumble others, and it should glorify God. So in, temp- in conclusion... How do we respond to temptation? What's the word? Flee. The reason our response is significant, the potential results is we either align with God or we align with the world and false idols and in so doing with the enemy. Our motivation for our actions ought to be to minister to others and to glorify God. Lord, help us to be the kind of people who love others more than we love ourselves, who are more concerned about somebody's salvation than our own liberties and our own freedoms. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that we're not in this alone, that you do make the way of escape. Father, I pray as the temptations will come even today, that, Father God, that when the way of escape is made clear to us, that we will take the way of escape, that we will flee from temptation. Lord, I pray also, Lord, that that we would not linger at the table of the enemy, that we would not be so caught up in the world that we miss out on your highest but Father God, I pray we would choose one and we would choose your table. We would choose your rest. We would choose your peace over the things the world has to offer. And then Lord, I pray that our motivation would be to minister to others and to bring glory to your name. Lord, I pray it would never be about us. It would never be about us trying to have people look highly upon us. May we never try to make a name for ourselves, but may we point people to you and glorify your name. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. I do pray for anybody here that's struggling, Lord, going through difficult times, struggling with temptation, or or, or Lord, just the consequences of sin. I pray that they would know that you love them, that Lord, that you are so willing and faithful to just forgive them even now. They will simply come and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, draw me close to you. We thank you that your word says you're Abba Father, your Daddy. We can crawl up into your lap. And we can come near to the very creator of the universe. We love you, Lord. Strengthen us, Father, to walk in obedience to your word. Because, Lord, without you, we can do nothing. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray and all God's people said. Let's stand and close a worship song.